Before we jump into God's Word, let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your Word with our ears, but also receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. In 2006, the famous British artist, Banksy, exhibited a work based off the phrase, The Elephant in the Room. The work was part of a wider exhibition about global global poverty, and it involved painting a real-life elephant with the same pattern of the wallpaper surrounding it. By making the elephant unmissably obvious, and by the woman impossibly ignoring it, um, this work by Banksy made it uh, powerfully clear that poverty around the world is a real problem, but we so easily sit by as if it doesn't, as if it doesn't exist. This evening, we're not going to be talking about poverty. We're going to be um, talking about something much deeper. It's an elephant in the room, um, I think, for us and us in the West. But it goes deeper than our ignoring poverty. Uh, I think this is a blind spot for Western societies. If it's true that this is an elephant in the room for us, it's because we're immersed in a society that has this at its centre. The Banking Royal Commission is making that clear. What is it? What is the elephant in the room? Well, I think for Western society, it's greed. We've started a three-week series, as uh, Terry was saying, that's called Money Matters. And as Terry said last week, and as Lily prayed, the aim of this series is to be content with less and generous with more. Last week, uh, we saw how all our talk about money needs to start off with our generous God. Uh, The more we see how generous God is, the more we love him and our hearts are changed to want to be generous as we serve him and as we hope in him. And Terry also said last week, if you're not confronted at some point in this series, we've failed you. Me and Terry have failed you. Why? 16 of Jesus' 38 parables are in some way about money or possessions. And Jesus knows that money or possessions, the stuff that money can buy, have the power to attract our heart's desire. We have a temptation, a great temptation, to put money or things at the center of our life instead of God. Jesus knew that. And so if Terry and I weren't to be confrontative at some point, we've failed you. We wouldn't be doing our job. It would be like hiking tour guides who fail to tell their group that 20 metres into the hike is an unmarked cliff. And of course, even though I'm speaking in front of you now, my heart needs to heed these words as much as yours, if not more so. What the Bible says about money and greed is clear. It's definite and it's challenging. There's no two ways about it. So this evening, we're going to be looking at what greed is, the problem with greed, and fleeing greed and serving God. So what greed is, the problem with greed, and fleeing and serving God. So first, what greed is. Turn back to the Luke passage, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. I think it was 8.94. Luke 12, verse 13. 
and we have a brother come up to Jesus. There's a huge crowd around Jesus, thousands of people, and a brother comes up to Jesus and sort of commands Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Quite abruptly, Jesus refuses to be a referee in this squabble about money, but he doesn't not be helpful. It doesn't mean he's not helpful. The man's coming to Jesus with a money problem. But his definition of a money problem is that he doesn't have enough money or he's not getting the amount of money he thinks he deserves. And Jesus does affirm that he does have a money problem, but it's not the problem he first thought. So verse 15, Jesus said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. There we have at least the definitions of of the word greed, thinking that life consists of an abundance of possessions. But if you dig a little deeper, greed is a problem of the heart. 1 Timothy says that the love of money is a root of all evil. And Jesus talks about, um, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he talks about greed coming from within. Greed is a heart problem. And so a, a, a working definition might be, greed starts with an ex- excessive love of money or something money can buy. Greed is an excessive love of money or something money can buy. And because it's a problem of the heart, it's, it's possible to be greedy, yet be the last person someone might think is greedy. And because it's a condition of the heart, it comes in many guises, many faces. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And I could think of at least three faces of greed. There's the hoarder. This greed, this type of greed, finds a home in the heart of the diligent, of the organized, of the disciplined. What begins as a, a wise thing to do, put aside some savings, turns into something our heart finds comfort in. We think, if God gave me this, it's mine, I can do what I want with it. And instead of the savings freeing us up to be more generous, the savings end up making us more tight-fisted. The hoarder begins to trust money rather than God. Their heart's desires settle on this lump of money. That's the hoarder. It's one face of greed. There's the overspender. This form of greed finds its home in an impatient person. The overspender confuses wants with needs and and spends more than his income or her income allows. The overspender wants things now. And there's the comparer. This form of greed often finds its home in a competitive personality. Uh, This person feels the need to keep up with the Joneses. It drives us to spend and keep on spending as a a way to show we're equal with our neighbour, our co-worker, our relative. The hoarder, the overspender, the comparer. Three types of greed that I could think of. But no matter what, we need to realise that living in one of the wealthiest nations in the world and possibly being one of the wealthiest generations to walk this earth, we're uniquely vulnerable to the three faces of greed. We're tempted to to hoard our wealth in bank accounts, super accounts, in investments. Uh, Low interest rates have made it easy to overspend and the advertising industry plays on our tendency to want to look at our neighbour or to want to compare to compare our lives with the Joneses. Now, of course, I'm not saying that keeping savings or having super or getting a mortgage is wrong. They can be 
important ways to living prudently. But wealth, having wealth is a danger because it whispers to us to love it, to trust it rather than God. There's a reason uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. So keeping in mind how dangerous greed is, here's a test to help you see where you might stand at the moment. It's a searching test. Be ready. Imagine that others had access to all your financial records, all your spending habits, all your investment portfolios, your savings, your checkbook registers, your tax returns, your cash flow. They know nothing about you except they've got this information. Probably heard this test before. It's a good one. What would they think about you? What would they summarize is your love? What would they summarize... uh, about what you love or who you love most. I was talking to someone at the 10am service this morning and he was saying that he thinks that the wallet is the clearest window into someone's heart. And I think he's got a point. Um, So that's greed. Greed, this excessive love of money or the things money can buy. Now we're going to look at the blindness of greed. So after warning us about greed, Greed. Jesus goes on in the passage. He gives us a picture of the greedy life. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. From verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Instead of building additional barns on, on other valuable and productive land, he tears down his old ones to build bigger ones. That's a smart thing to do. One commentator even describes that his decision to hold back his harvest while the market is in surplus will result in a higher price for the grain later on when the market's glutted. Apparently, the farmer has a good head for agro, agribusiness. But he's not so wise about life itself. Did you notice all the references to himself? I was trying to emphasize them. Um, He speaks to himself in verse 19. In one of the translations, it says, um, in verse 19, I'll say to my soul, it makes it even more obvious, but in verse 19, "I'll, I'll say to myself, he's speaking to himself. This window into his life makes it clear that his desires are all about himself. He can't see beyond himself. The problem with greed is that it's blind to one crucial reality, and that is God. The farmer fails to see, number one, that the abundant harvest in verse 16 is a gift from God. Uh, we, We have very little control over our harvest, our crops, as the drought is making clear. So he forgets that it's a gift from God, the harvest itself. And he and hand in hand with that, he doesn't see or doesn't trust that God will provide for his needs. And so he, he hoards his wealth. He's very much unlike the, the raven of last week. Um, they don't sow or, or reap. They don't have a storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. And of course, Jesus was commending the raven. Three, 
um, because of his blind spot, his, his not being able to see God, there's no sense that his wealth as a gift from God comes with responsibility. He's caught in his own world. He can't see the needs of those around him. He, he can't see that um, God is active in the world. It's called the kingdom of God and it's making headway. He can't comprehend being a part of something so much bigger than his own life. He can't see that the things he has could be used in a way God might want him to use them. He can't see these things. So he's blind to the responsibility that comes with the gifts. And fourthly, he doesn't see that his life, his very life, is a gift from God. So verse 20, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Late one evening... After kissing his wife goodnight, a man went up to his study because his mind was racing, he couldn't sleep. He wanted to review the new business plan for the coming year. And then suddenly, without warning, he felt a sharp pain in his chest. All those years of stress, too much meat, too many cigars, caught up with him. His arteries hardened, the blood couldn't get through, his heart skipped a beat, a second beat, and then it shut down. They found him in the morning dead at his desk at his funeral everyone in the community talked about how successful he was people remarked about his work ethic and reminisced about his marketing genius and how visionary he was they took his casket out to the gravesite buried it and put up the gravestone with the dates of his life and a statement about how successful hard-working and visionary he was and then they went home that night the angel of the Lord showed up and wrote one word across the man's tombstone. Fool. Jesus doesn't call this man evil, this rich man evil, wicked or horrible. He calls him foolish because his life was built on a foolish idea that if he just had enough stuff, he'd be all good. But to live like that is one exercise one massive exercise in missing the point. The rich man, uh, for the rich man, it seemed to work for a little while. He, he had enough to probably have a few nice parties by himself. But he, wait, he made one big mistake. He died. I don't know if you've seen the latest statistics on death. They're not very hopeful. We all die at some point. <laughs> Did I have to clarify that? I don't know. <laughs> Verse 21. Um, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus is doing what he does best in this parable. He's trying to open our eyes. He wants us to see that life is so much more than the abundance of possessions. So that's, we've, we've talked about greed, what, what it is. We've We've looked at the blindness or the problem of greed, and now we're going to think about how we can flee greed. Uh, speaking of greed, one ancient writer, sounding particularly modern at this point, writes these words. The sea is never filled up, even though it takes a multitude of rivers. The desire of the greedy person cannot get its fill of riches. He doubles his wealth and wants to double it again. And he does not stop doubling it until death puts a stop to his endless zeal. Greed is insatiable. It's a dead end that keeps on going. 
but there's another way to live. From 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, speaking to Timothy, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Flee from greed is the message and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. But we'll only be able to pursue those things, flee greed and pursue those things if, as he makes clear the apostle, if we are content. How can we grow in contentment? Well, I think at least uh, one important thing in growing in contentment is realizing that we're thoroughly soaked in marketing and advertising, and they have as their sole aim making us discontent. Our society is bent on making us discontent so that we make consumption a way of life, always buying the new thing. I don't know how you felt when you saw the iPhone being advertised on the TV or on YouTube. They do a pretty good job at making me think, my iPhone 7 just isn't good enough anymore. We live in a society that... I, I don't really believe that. But, um, but it's, you know... We live in a society that is good at making us discontent. And so with this in mind, I think we should think about... This is pertinent to our generation. I think we should think about having a Sabbath rest from consumerism. Okay, Not only actually a day. I think either seven days or a month. And I'm literally thinking this should be a challenge you think about. So for seven days, let's say seven days... You only buy essentials. Only buy essentials. And you don't go online or on your phone on apps like ASOS or eBay or any of those stores to shop. So there's no shopping for this week, online shopping. There's only grocery shopping, the essentials. So no looking at your phone, no no shopping online for a week. It's important to help us see that there's more to life than consuming. So that's my first challenge. If you do this, I think you'll grow with Paul in your realisation, your appreciation, that if you have food and, and clothing and, and shelter, you can be content. So that's my first suggestion. My second one is giving money away and planning to give money away before you have all that you want. Okay? So giving money away and planning to give money away before you have all you want. Now, this is sort of tithing and thinking about... 10% is a good start to give away. But, but when we talk about this, it's not to conform to a code of behavior. That's not why we give. We give because it reforms our heart. Giving away our stuff, our money, loosens our grip, our heart's grip on, on that stuff. Giving away acts as a disinfectant to greed. It's exactly what the farmer didn't do. And it's exactly what Jesus says that we should do in the passage that we read last week. To, to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Giving away is a disinfectant to greed. It loosens our heart's desire on stuff. So it's an important discipline for our own hearts. Now, I know I'm speaking to a lot of people here who don't earn much at all. Um, I think the principle still is exactly the same. I think no matter how much you earn, 
you need to think about giving, say, 10% away. It's important to learn the discipline now. It's important to not let your heart's desires grab onto the stuff before you grow up and you have a lot more money to take care of. So I, I, if it's $2 you get a week, if it's $5, if it's 40 bucks, I think you should think about giving 10% away as a discipline for your own heart. That's two. And three, contentment ultimately comes. This is, this is, this is where it comes. When you realise the riches God has freely given you. When the brother came to Jesus in Luke 12 with his money problem, he didn't realize that he was speaking to the one who could make him richer than he could ever imagine. Jesus said to him, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Rather, at the very end of the passage in verse 21, he says, it consists in being rich towards God. Contentment comes when you have the eyes to see that God has given you his treasure. He's given us food and clothing We should be thankful for that. But that's the small stuff compared to his giving of himself in the Lord Jesus. Money and the trinkets money can buy, they're nothing compared to the offer we have in Jesus. Jesus knew that as long as a brother had his focus, had his eyes on the money problem he thought he had, he'd be blind to the fact that life is more than money and possessions Life isn't about money and possessions. Life is about living for the Lord Jesus. And he's the one through whom all the good things that we love came into existence. Jesus makes us richer than we could ever imagine. And he frees us to live a sacrificial life of generosity like he did. It's about realising that in Christ we're given God himself. Who would take the creation over the creator? They were his ideas first. And he's given himself to us in Jesus. Understanding how rich we are in Christ frees us to be content, even if materially we have plenty or not. Paul says in Philippians, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So I started this evening with Banksy's elephant in the room, and I suggested that for us in the West, greed is the elephant in the room. It's there, but it's so easy to ignore. But I want to turn that thought on its head. I think for us Christians, the elephant in the room is... The unfathomable generosity of God. In Jesus, God has given us himself. Here's the treasure our hearts seek. Our hearts won't be satisfied with anything less. That's why greed is insatiable. The temporal and material goods that we see on offer, they won't cut it for our hearts. Our hearts are made to find their rest in God. So don't be blind like the rich man in the parable. Don't be blind to the elephant in the room, the generosity of God. Because if we grasp this, greed won't take a grip of our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your gift 
of your son Jesus for us. We thank you that in Jesus you have forgiven us, you've wiped us clean, you've made us holy in your sight, you've brought us into your family, you've given us your inheritance, you've given us your future, our future in the new creation. We have more than we can even imagine. Please help us see this, help us grasp it spiritually, help us grasp it with our whole heart so that we live lives in response of generosity to others. Amen.